It's good to be here at Porch Light Baptist Church. We're in the Gospel of John still. This is our uh, 19th message out of the Gospel of John sermon series. And this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36, Lord willing. So we'll finish out this chapter. John 3, 31, we'll start with. I've titled the message, Christ is Greater, John Exalts Christ. John chapter 3, starting with verse 31, the Bible says, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testified. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that has received his testimony has set to to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and has given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Lord, I'm praying that you help us this morning keep our mind and thoughts on the text and what needs to be said. Lord, that you will receive any glory from it. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you remember last time we looked at uh, where John had said he must, uh, Jesus must increase and John must decrease. And uh, we looked at five points concerning John's ministry. And we said that John's ministry and preaching was not about himself. It was about Jesus. Uh, John's ministry did not compete with others in the ministry. John praised not himself, but he praised others. Uh, John was a man of prayer, and also John wanted to exalt Jesus and not himself. And so five things we looked at in that last message uh, about John the Baptist, we saw his humility, and uh, that everything that he did was... um, to exalt Jesus. And so that's where we pick up this morning as he continues exalting Jesus and proving that Jesus Christ is greater, greater than himself, greater than any other man, greater than anyone or anything. And so he points people away from himself and toward Jesus. And this morning, Lord willing, we're going to look at five more things that John points out in these verses uh, that proves that Christ is greater. Christ is greater. Look at verse 31 again. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. All right. So the first thing we find that John mentions about Jesus and exalts him is that Christ is greater because he comes from heaven. The Lord's message, the Lord Jesus Christ, his message is directly from heaven. It's not uh, come out of a textbook, it's not come out of a uh, uh, a seminary, it's not come out of anything here on earth, but it comes directly from God in heaven. And so Jesus is greater because his message is from heaven. It says, he that cometh from ab- above is above all. Above is referring to, of course, God's heaven. Uh, there could be no greater preacher ever to exist, there hasn't been and never will be, than the Lord Jesus Christ because He originated in heaven. All other men, all we can preach is what we have seen, what we've heard, what we read in the Bible, but we don't have personal experience 
uh, we have not ever been into heaven and saw what is there in heaven. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, the Bible said. So until we do go to that place, we really don't have an idea exactly everything there is to do with it. And uh, we can read the Bible and, and we can preach it as God gives us the Holy Spirit to preach these things. But our message, the Bible says, he that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. So really all I can tell you is my personal experiences and what God's word says, but I've never been to heaven. I've never sat on the right hand of the Father, but Jesus has and does. And so his message, he that cometh from heaven, is above all. So Christ is greater. Now look at verse 32. And what he has seen and heard, that he testified, that he testified. And no man receiveth his testimony. Okay, so secondly, Christ is greater because he has first-hand knowledge. He has first-hand knowledge of all things dealing with the Lord, dealing with God, dealing with heaven, dealing with salvation, dealing with whatever it may be. It says, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. So Jesus testifies of the truth, which he personally has seen and heard from God the Father. Now, as it says there, no man receiveth his testimony. That, that's a generalization of man's reaction toward Christ, the Messiah. When he came here, no man received his testimony. Now, we know that some did, but this is a generalization that John is giving here. But sadly, most men did not receive him. The Jews rejected him. And uh, while some men did receive it, as a whole, Jesus rejected. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 the Bible says he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so the majority of people rejected Christ, despite his fulfilling every bit of prophecy, scripture, of what the Messiah would be like, and what he would do, and when he would come, and where he would come from. He fit every portion of the, the prophecy of the Messiah that there could be. But still yet, they rejected him. So man did not receive his testimony. What's his testimony? What he's seen and heard. That's your testimony. You can testify the things you've seen and heard. Your personal experience. I can give you my testimony. I can give you my, uh, my uh, salvation testimony. I've done it many times, being saved at six years old. I can give you a testimony about uh, things in East Tennessee because I've seen and heard things in East Tennessee. I can't give you a testimony about things in China because I've never been there. I can go on the internet and look it up and tell you what it says on there, but as far as my testimony, I can't testify to that. I didn't see it or hear it. But Jesus personally testifies. He gives his testimony. This is what happens in heaven. This is what God the Father has sent me to do. These are the things you need to know. This is the truth. I'm telling you, it's my testimony, but yet man did not receive his testimony. Uh, the fact is, Jesus came here on earth to do the Father's will, not his own. Listen to what he says to the Jews. They were asking about who he was, about him. In John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, 
And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven. There it is. Look at that. Verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus gives his testimony here. He says, listen, I come from heaven, I came from above. That's what he said, for I came down from heaven. And not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Who's the one that sent him? God the Father. He says, this is the Father's will that has, which has sent me. Uh, all that he gives me, I shall keep. I shall lose nothing, he said. So, in other words, if you believe my testimony, you believe on me, receive me as your Savior, I will have you forever. You're mine. And the Father has given you to me. And I'll raise you up on the last day. So he's referring to the time they closed their eyes in death here on this earth. But I will raise you up, he says, and you will be with me. Because why? He says, because this is the, the will of the one who sent me. Who's the one who sent him? God the Father. And so he says, I'll raise you up on that last day. The third thing, look at verse 33. He that has received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. All right. The third thing is Christ is greater because his testimony always agrees with God. His testimony always agrees with God. It says, he that has received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. All right. So any man who believes in Christ and receives him as Savior has believed in the promises of God. Now, the things that Jesus says, because Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the life. That's what Jesus said. So the truth is, these are the things that God says. These are the things that God has set forth. These are his promises concerning salvation. And because of my testimony that I'm giving to you, if you will agree, believe in me, receive me, then you have set your seal that you believe God. You believe God's promises. It says there, uh, he who has received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. So in other words, he's been sealed with the truth of God because he's received Christ. He believed in the testimony of Jesus. Now, Paul writes about the believer being sealed. If you want to look at it, it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And he's speaking about believing in Christ. Ephesians 1 and 13. And he says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So there Paul is summing up the same thing. So you believed the truth, you received that truth, and when you did, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So uh, all three members of the triune Godhead are involved in your salvation. Of course, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one that seals you and 
guarantees that you will be sealed unto the, the, the day of redemption. Uh, until redemption, it says. The, you're the purchased possession. So God bought you. Jesus paid for you with his blood. He bought you. You belong to him. And the Holy Spirit said, you belong to us. Now that you've received the truth, you believe it, you receive Christ, you are sealed. We put, we put God's stamp on you, his seal. And it will not be broken until you reach heaven. You come to your final place uh, when you close your eyes in death to be present, uh, absent from the bodies present with the Lord, then guess what? And the Bible says you're sealed unto till the redemption of the purchased possession. So what Jesus paid for you, uh, and then the Holy Spirit sealed you, and then when you go to reach heaven, when you finally appear before the Lord, then uh, he that seal is broken off and you are part of, of heaven and part of him, part of his plan. And so, uh, unto the praise of his glory. All right, now look at verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. So the fourth thing here, Christ is greater because he receives the full Spirit of God and is not limited. The Bible says right there, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. So in other words, it's not just doled out in, in little portions uh, to Jesus. Now to us it is. We are only given the Spirit by measure. We don't have the full, full Spirit of God dealt upon us like the Lord Jesus. Uh, though God gives each of us his Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit, we are limited by measure. Man has always been limited. No man besides Jesus has ever received the full Spirit of God onto him without measure. Uh, not the prophets. The prophets were only given a little bit of information. Most of them didn't even have an idea of what it was they were prophesying. They would give the prophecy of God, say what God told them to say, but they didn't know the results. They didn't know the end, the end game there. But God said, you go out and you tell them this. They went out and said, this is what God said. I'm just telling you what he told me. And so, really, they didn't have the full measure of the Spirit given to them. Uh, the apostles, as great as they were, as the healings they could do and all the miracles and and all the things they did, they were only given the Spirit by measure, just portion of the Spirit. They didn't have the full, unmeasured portion of the Spirit. Preachers, deacons, laymen, no one has that full measure like the Lord Jesus has. We are all somewhat limited when it comes to that. But Jesus received the full Spirit of God without measure. Listen to what Jesus says, in fact. Matthew 11 and 27 he said, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. <laughs> so Jesus himself saying, Look, all things were delivered unto me by the Father. All things. Uh, also, if you remember when Jesus went to his own hometown, he went to his own synagogue that he was brought up in, and uh, he went before the people and he opened up the scripture to read. He read from Isaiah, and this is what he said in Luke 4 and 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, he was reading from Isaiah 61 and 1 uh, concerning the promise of the Messiah that was coming. And when he did this, he was referring, of course, to himself because he told the people that. I, I don't have the, the reference, but just below those verses in Luke 4, uh, after verse 19, on further down, it, it says, I am he whom speaketh. And you remember what happened when he when he did that. The Bible says the people became very uh, angry, and uh, they wanted to take him out on the side of a cliff and throw him off and kill him. They were so upset about it. Yet he sat there and, or stood there and told them, whatever he was standing or sitting, I don't know, probably was sitting. That's what the, the teachers did in that day. Uh, but as he was explaining to them the truth of the scripture right there before them and explaining, I am he, the one that God has sent to deliver uh, the captive and to do all these things, yet they would not receive his testimony. But he said, God gave all of this to me. So Christ is greater because... He's been given all things, a full measure of the Spirit. Now look at verse 35. The Father loveth the Son and is given all things into his hand. Here we go. It's, it's kind of like a running theme here of, of God giving Jesus everything. God gave him all things. So Christ is greater because God has made him sovereign over all things. All things. Now I know... A lot of the Baptists get scared when you start using the word sovereign. They, they, they start thinking you're leaning toward Calvinism or Reformed or whatever. Uh, but the, the Bible teaches the truth that, that Jesus, God, and Jesus are sovereign. All things. The sovereignty of Christ refers to his supreme authority, his control over all of creation, over everything. It encompasses his divine power, his rule, his dominion over everything, not only in heaven, but on earth, and not only those, but under the earth. He's sovereign of all things. As the Son of God, Jesus Christ is not only our Savior and our Redeemer, but he's also the rightful King and ruler over all. In fact, over in the book of Revelation there, what is it, Revelation chapter 19, uh, the Bible says upon uh, his vesture and upon his thigh was the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. So he is above all. He's sovereign. All throughout the Bible, we see proof of Christ's sovereignty. He exercises his authority over nature. He calmed storms. He walked on water. We all remember that. He just uh, spoke and the wind ceased. The, the sea calmed. You remember when he walked across the water, when all the disciples were out in the boat? And they were afraid, and here he comes walking, and Peter even walks over the boat and starts walking on water, and Jesus has to save him. But he exercised all authority over nature. Uh, he demonstrates authority over sickness and disease by healing the blind, raising the dead, and uh, restoring uh, health to those that were sick. And we could just name one thing right after the other that he did in, in those cases, so he was authority over all sickness disease he exercised his authority over evil forces satanic things demonics uh, uh casting demons out of people and uh, even uh, putting them into animals and uh, all kinds of things so he has 
power and authority over all evil things. We also see his sovereignty over spiritual matters, which is what really matters for us, uh, is the spiritual things that he is over. Uh, you, you hear the word spirit used a lot in the world we live in today, but not everybody's talking about God's Holy Spirit. Uh, there are a lot of spiritual people, but they are spiritualizing nature. They're spiritualizing things like rocks, stones, uh, uh, gems, uh, so many things that the, the occult and all this are into, and they are very spiritual, but it's not the Spirit of God by any means whatsoever. Uh, when it comes to spiritual matters, Christ's sovereignty is shown as the, being the head of the church. The Bible tells us he's the head of the church. We are the body of Christ as a church uh, fellowship or congregation, but he governs and directs us, his people, according to his own perfect will. And uh, we are, uh, what we're supposed to be doing is to be uh, furthering our spiritual lives to model ourselves after Christ and to be a more perfect church. Uh, we are the bride of Christ that we are preparing to meet the groom. And so we are supposed to be perfect. Uh, he exercises his authority over the salvation of individuals by drawing them to himself and giving them eternal life for those who will receive his testimony. He grants them eternal life. He also judges the living and the dead and he will reign forever over all. He is the righteous judge. God gave unto Jesus the son all things, even to judge those. Um, it's obvious that none of us are sovereign. I was certainly not sovereign. John the Baptist was not sovereign. And uh, no other apostle or um, prophet, preacher, deacon, Sunday school teacher, layman, no matter what, no one else is sovereign. Only God is sovereign. Jesus Christ, of course, being God the Son, uh, is sovereign. And so Christ is greater because God has made him sovereign over all. So those five things, but we're not finished with the text. If you want to look at verse 36, as we end this, the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So <clears throat> this last verse is both, I guess you could call it a blessing and a curse. The Bible speaks of a blessing and a curse, but it's a blessing for those who believe in Christ and receive his testimony, but it's a curse for those who do not, those who refuse to believe in his testimony. The decision to believe or not to believe in Jesus uh, has eternal consequences. If you believe, you will, as we said earlier, as we quoted from Paul's letters, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. And that's where believers, we believe from reading the Bible that we will be in the presence of God in heaven. Uh, that's what we believe because our faith tells us or leads us to that way through God's word. But those who do not believe, they will not. They will not be living in heaven. They will not be having eternal comfort and uh, life. But what's referred to as death in the Bible is everlasting punishment and destruction for those who do not believe in Jesus, those who will not receive his testimony, who will not be saved, 
they will be eternally separated from God and God's love. And that's going to be the worst part. Sure, the suffering is going to be bad. The hell is going to be bad. The fire, the flames, the worms, the thirst, all that's going to be bad. But the worst thing of all will be eternally being separated from God, not having his love, his grace, and his mercy at all. As those who do believe, there are uh, gifts that we have, a life filled with his abundant grace, his love, and his presence. And, of course, the the faith that one day we will live with him in uh, in heaven. But on the other hand, rejecting Christ leads to separation, and it also provokes God's righteous indignation, his wrath. Now, most people don't like to talk about God's wrath or his anger. Uh, they want to speak about his love, his grace, and his mercy, and he is all those things. But God is also a jealous God, the Bible tells us. He also uh, hates sin. He has a righteous indignation, a righteous wrath against sin. Uh, but listen to what the Hebrew writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. Hebrews 10 and 26. For if we sin willy, uh, willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden under the foot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So listen, uh, believer or unbeliever, God, God's wrath against sin is not something that you want to deal with. Uh, and like, as the Hebrew writer put, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living, the living God because he is a God of righteous anger. Uh, the psalmist writes about God's anger toward those who rebel against him. Psalms chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, the Bible says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Uh, listen, you don't want to be on the receiving end of God's wrath. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not a good thing. Uh, the Bible said, though, in our text there, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So that place called hell that God prepared for the devil and his angels uh, enlarges itself daily, the Bible tells us. And why does it do that? Because more and more people re refuse to receive Christ and his testimony. They re refuse to believe in him and trust him as Savior. So what happens? God's wrath abides upon them. They're cast into hell where the Bible says there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, where their worm dieth not. Um, 
it's important to remember that God's righteous anger is not like our anger. Now, there's times when we have righteous anger. It's, it's rare. Uh, but it's not human anger. Human anger results from selfishness and pride and revenge, lack of self-will. Uh, human anger is an ugly thing, and it's usually wrong and sinful. God's anger is not like that. God's anger is always righteous, it's just, and it's pure. It's never un unrighteous. So God's righteous, righteous anger is a manifestation of his perfect justice and holiness. If he wasn't uh, the God he says he is, then there would be no reason for it. But because he is the God who he claims to be, who he says he is, then he must be, he must have that righteous anger against sin. It is his just response against sin, rebellion, and it's rooted in his love for righteousness. God that's what God wants is righteousness. And while God's anger is fierce, it is also tempered by his mercy and grace. If you ever face the undiluted wrath of God, you would, you would evaporate. I mean, it would literally destroy you. Thank God for his tempered mercy and his grace, even in the times when we rebel against him. And we do have to face his righteous judgment. Through Jesus Christ, we can find deliverance from God's wrath and experience his love and forgiveness. I'm glad of that. But listen, those that are not saved, that's not believed in Jesus, they don't have this, uh, I want to call it pleasure, but it's not really the word I'm looking for. They don't have this uh, wonderful thing that God has given us uh, to escape that uh, all through the Lord Jesus Christ, simply because we believe and by faith, it's by grace through faith that we're saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so um, I'd like for us to go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, God, we come to you today thanking you for the message. Lord, I, I thank you for the truths in your word, and God, that we can rely upon it. God, that we believe it with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. God, the, that your truths stand firm. Lord, we thank you that you are a righteous God. Lord, forgive us when we fail you, we rebel against you, and we, we do sinful things, God. Please forgive us. Lord, we just throw ourselves upon your mercy, upon your righteousness. God, help us. Lord, I pray for that one today that may be lost. They're right now headed for that place called hell. God, they're going to receive your wrath upon will abide and god we're praying for their souls today lord that before it's too late god they'll make that decision to receive christ as their savior lord help us reach them lord with the gospel god help us in whatever means we can uh, so that uh, they can know this love that you have for us help us father we thank you and love you in jesus name we pray and amen all right, well, everyone's hearts and minds clear. Good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll see you next Sunday.